Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Gillespie. I'm the lead pastor here at Crosswalk Church, and thanks for being a part of what we're doing. Um, I'm also the teaching pastor for our Crosswalk Global, and we're just excited that you're here. Like, we're excited every single week, but I got to tell you, you guys are showing up in incredible, incredible ways. It's quite amazing. Two weeks ago, North Houston for their launch. Last week in Chattanooga, they had a thousand people for the first time ever, which is incredible, just amazing. I know Pastor Dave out there was having a little bit of FOMO. He was missing out. Um, And last week alone, we had 3,000 people in seats at church, which um, I hope you're clapping right now because that is just incredible and incredible. A few other things that are happening is we're excited that our new worship arts pastor here at Redlands will be showing up this week. So um, so hopefully that's just going to continue to grow the worship arts ministry that we have here. And unfortunately, our pastor Mike, if you know him from any of our campuses, Pastor Mike Rhinus will be moving on on the 16th of this uh, month, but but again, we're so grateful for his ministry. And you know, I, I hate change sometimes, but change brings opportunity, and we can't wait to see what God is up to next, because he continues to do amazing things in this community. Now, we have been deconstructing and reconstructing what is elemental about our faith, and this series has been really good. I hope that you've really liked it, and I have to tell you, I appreciate all Every single pastor that has preached on all of our different campuses, our preaching teams out there, as well as here at Redlands, um, and they've just poured into this topic, into this idea, and into this series. I love that we're moving into a teaching team a little bit more. It takes a little bit of the pressure off me, but I'm also excited to be with you here today in the pulpit. And I got to say, we promised to you, because I know, listen, people call up and they're like, who's preaching today? Is it video? Is it not? I get that. I understand that. Um, some people love the video. They've grown up with it. And some people don't like it nearly as much, and they want to hear more from their campus pastor. We've got a system that we're working, and we really appreciate it. But this is something I can promise you. No matter who is in the pulpit, whether it's on video, whether it is live, no matter who is in that pulpit, you are going to be blessed. And so what I'd like you to do is just lean into the opportunity to hear from different voices, but also the unified voice of our teaching team as God continues to grow and teach us and, um, and, and just create an incredible opportunity. And I hope that you've really been following along with this series guide, because as you know, Pastor Dave Ferguson from our Chattanooga campus wrote this whole thing, and it's been really good. And as I was reading it today, I have to tell you, there was a phrase that hit me that got me going when it came to writing the sermon and when it came to what I wanted to share with you today. This is the phrase that Pastor Dave Ferguson from our Crosswalk Chattanooga campus put together. He said, listen, reconstruct and wrestle might just, just might be synonyms, right? Difficult, comma, but worth it. And as I read the series guide, it was just, I was just struck by the sentence. And so I wanted to explore it a bit more. In what ways are they synonyms? And why does that ring so true? So I thought what we do is we jump over to Scripture, the portion of Scripture that he was talking about in the series guide, but we're going to go a little bit deeper. Starting in Genesis chapter 32, verse 22 is where we start. It says this, During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two servant wives— 
and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. That's quite an entourage, right? Long story we know about Jacob. He's the son of Isaac. He's a twin. Uh, there was wrestling in Rebekah's room between, womb, she, sorry, not room, womb, between him and Esau. He was always kind of a mama's boy, always second. He came out holding Esau's heel. He was never an Esau. He cheats Esau out of his birthright and then does deception in order to receive that birthright from his father. Um, And he was then cheated out of the life that he wanted, interestingly enough, maybe ironically a little bit, because he tried to marry someone and unfortunately he did not get the person that he wanted. And so he had to work another seven years in order to get Rachel. So now he's 60. We see him at the Jabbok River sending both of his wives and apparently his servant wives um, and his 11 sons, sending them across the Jabbok, going to spend some time as he's coming back into the land that had been given to him by birthright, but Esau was certainly not happy about it. Esau's still alive. He's got quite an entourage happening as well. So Taking them, after taking them to the other side, he then sends over all his possessions as well. He knew that a confrontation was coming. He could sense it, right? I don't know if you've ever sensed a confrontation coming. Maybe that's why some of you fell into this kind of deconstruction, reconstruction series so well, because you sensed this confrontation coming, because you had heard something your whole life, and you were having trouble reconciling what you had heard to your experience of God, your experience of love, your experience of belonging, and your experience of faith. Right? We know when confrontation's coming, and in our faith journey, when that confrontation's coming, it often leads to disbelief, unbelief, or um, sometimes even deconversion. I mean, if you've ever felt like a confrontation is coming in your life, you know you have to prepare for it. And in your faith, the same thing is true. So I think that's why this series has resonated with so many people, um, because I ask it too because if it hasn't happened, right, if you've never felt like confrontation is coming, it will. And how you approach the conversation will really set the course of your faith and your life and your trajectory. See, Jacob knew it was coming, so he sends everybody away. He thought it was coming from Esau. He just didn't know the direction that it was coming. Sometimes when we're in the midst of that confrontation, right? Or we're about to prepare for that confrontation. We're looking this way. We think it's coming this way. Well, for Jacob, it showed up in a different way. And it just shows up in verse 24 in a really just direct way. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the until dawn began to break. And I feel like this is too direct. Like, what in the world is happening? Is he in his tent, and this dude shows up in his tent, and they start wrestling? It says here he was in a camp, so were they wrestling all around camp? Well, I don't know what picture you have in your head when you first heard this story. It's probably the same one you still have, because we don't revisit those nearly as much as we should. But um, it just, he just drops it here. Man shows up, and he wrestles him all day. He's alone in the camp, and now he's in a struggle for his life with someone he does not know. He can't identify and certainly cannot seem to beat, right? But then it turns the corner a little bit. It says, when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. We've studied this, this particular um, text before, this scripture before, And this part always gets me, and I probably mentioned it last time as well. This man is wrestling Jacob and has no need to wrestle Jacob, because clearly all he has to do is touch him, and he can incapacitate him, right? But it doesn't mean that the man realized, I mean, it sounds strange, right? It says he can't win the match, but he clearly had the power to win the match. 
I think what we see here is the persistence of Jacob to not give up, right? We've all seen those movies where the protagonist, like he gets shot and he gets back up. He gets beat down and he gets back up. And there's a point where you're like, just don't stand back up. And then something happens, something else happens. And then lo and behold, he wins the whole thing. But, but this is Jacob just not willing to give up. But I mean, if the man could win with a touch, why did he let Jacob wrestle with him? And I think this is a question for the ages between us and God. If he could make it all clear, which God could do, and clear it up, no questions. If he could just decide, save us, just show us the miracles. Why doesn't he do that? Why does it seem that God hides, that he doesn't answer our prayers, and that he leaves so much to us? Well, I've been thinking a lot about this because, because it would certainly make it much easier, right? To A, not struggle. To B, let God decide because God has incredible wisdom that we certainly don't have. And it would really make things a lot better for, I think, all of us. But I think this. I think that this discipleship that God calls us to happens in the hanging on, right? It happens in the, in the holding on and not letting Go. Jacob wouldn't let go because he knew that he was eventually in the presence of the divine. He wanted a blessing that comes from being with God. He wasn't willing to let go unless everything changed. And that change can only come from God. So, so in the midst of this, they're fighting. Finally, the man says, hey, um, dawn is breaking. He realizes he, he's not going to let go. So he touches his hip, causes a problem. Right? Genesis 32, 26. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. If, if this were a microcosm of our spiritual lives, I think it would look like this. We spend a lot of time preparing for the confrontation, not sure where it's going to come from, not sure if it's going to be an ideology that wraps up against what we believe and we have to reconfigure what we believe, or if it's if it's something that you were taught that, that kind of moved less love into the world and you wanted to be more love, but that means you've got to drop some other things, um, Jacob knew it was coming. And he knew that he needed to take this on by himself, right? He prepared his, his family to be somewhere else. He sent his family and his possessions forward in a way. He thought he would be fighting Esau, probably, but he ended up fighting God. We think we're planning for a particular fight, but we need to prepare for whatever that confrontation is, right? And then when the confrontation comes, we need to be engaging entirely. Jacob didn't hold back, right? He went for it to the point that the entity that he was fighting, which we believe is God or an angel, right? Knew he couldn't get away. Now that's crazy because he could have supernaturally probably gotten away, but he knew he couldn't get away. What that speaks to is the, is the, the tenacity of Jacob, Right? What if this was the way that we approached our wrestling with God? I am not going to leave until I figure this out. I'm not going to leave until I receive the blessing. I am not going to leave until I sit at the foot of the cross, sit with Jesus for so long that I know what he's trying to teach me. What if this was the way we approach this D and reconstruction? I'm wrestling in the dark at night, but I will not let go, which leads us to the next point. After engaging entirely, never let go. 
Jacob just didn't let go, even when he was vanquished, even when he was in pain. He was adamant about the blessing that he would receive if he just didn't let go. Sometimes this process of deconstruction and reconstruction is just about not letting go, right? Sometimes it's just about not letting go. And I understand that that's kind of an oversimplification, right? But I I don't think so. See, if we're just thinking that this process is about the right answers, we've missed the point. It's actually, deconstruction and reconstruction is actually about authentic discipleship. This is where we're going to make a differentiation between learning about our faith and experiencing our faith. The difference between learning about Jesus and learning from Jesus. If this whole deconstruction, reconstruction thing were just about finding the right answers, right? Well, we, we didn't understand it. There's a difference in learning about Jesus and learning from Jesus. Jesus. And sometimes you got to wash away everything else so you can just hear the voice of God, right? This is the difference between being a scholar or a theologian or a disciple. We can know a lot and miss the blessing of simply hanging on to Jesus for dear life. And I know a lot of people that are leaving faith, and I get it. I need to be careful with that. It's, it's not fair to say a lot of people are apostatizing, right? A lot of people are leaving church. They're leaving organized religion. They're leaving their faith communities. And a lot of times it's because those faith communities are not standing for what they see in Scripture. And they're not standing for what they're hearing about from Jesus as they are discipled by Jesus. We can know a lot and miss the blessing of hanging on to Jesus for dear life. Jumping back into the text, Genesis 32, 27, what is your name, the man asked. He replied, Jacob. Because Jacob wouldn't relent, wouldn't let go, the man moved into closer proximity of relationship. Who are you? What is your name? By asking what his name was, he moved closer to Jacob. He began to know him in a different sort of way. I got to ask, are we ready for Jesus to know our name, to move closer to us? Are we ready to reveal ourselves to Jesus. Sometimes we leave church, sometimes we leave faith because we're not ready to let the God of the universe know who we really are. Which I know, it sounds silly, well, he already knows who you are. No, no, I think, I think God allows us to reveal ourselves. This is confession, right? This is healing. And, and when the man, when the divinity hears this, He says, nah, man, that's not your name anymore. That name has bad connotations. From now on, your name will be called Israel because you fought with God and with men and you've won. Right? It all changed. New name, new trajectory, even new land, new responsibility, and a new calling. So Jacob says, well, you've given me a new name. I want to know your name. And he said, listen, why do you want to know my name? The man replied, And then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob wanted to know his name because this is the discipleship relationship that we are called into to learn from Jesus. He was asking us a personal question. We need to be asking Jesus personal questions and then listening to what it is that Jesus says, experiencing the text, experiencing the revelation of God. 
And I'll tell you, listen, when it comes to discipleship, I sometimes fall short because I move quick. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to go. But sometimes we got to just hold on. So at the end of the text, verse 30, Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. He named this place because this is where his life changed. This is where discipleship started in earnest. This is where the blessing was received. Where is your Peniel? I know that sounds weird because it's a weird sounding word, but where's that space, that place, that time when your wrestling and unwillingness to leave and let go came to fruition and you started your relationship with Jesus maybe in a different way? This discipling relationship where you stopped learning about Jesus and you began to learn from Jesus. Where's your place? Verse 31, the sun was rising. Jacob left Peniel and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. But you know, when you wrestle with something, it has a tendency to leave a mark. Why do we ever think that our spiritual journey would not take its toll on us in the same way? Why do we think it would be easy, it would be simple, and it would not leave us scars? Now, scars sometimes remind us of places we don't want to go again. And some of the scars that we've received through our faith journey, through our time in churches, from people of faith, some of those scars are not just trauma, but they're reminders for us not to be like that. If you've experienced trauma in church, I hope that you've committed to never give trauma. And unfortunately, we say this a lot, right? Hurt people hurt people. I hope that's not the case. I hope that the healing has been such that the discipling relationship has been such that you've moved away, knowing that there is healing in Jesus, but knowing that those scars are reminders of making sure we don't do that same mistake, we don't do that same thing again. So I guess I would say it this way. If reconstruction is wrestling, like Pastor Dave said, then discipleship is simply not letting go. Hear that again. If reconstruction is wrestling, then discipleship is not letting go. We have wrestled and probably will continue to wrestle throughout our lives, but discipleship is just holding on. But that begs a question, right? What do you need to make sure you don't let go of? Well, you probably know where I'm going to start. Don't let go of Jesus. Now, it seems obvious, I get it, but it's actually harder than you can imagine. Our focus changes often in church and in our lives of faith, uh, and just our lives, right? Uh, our ideologies, our preferences, our politics, church outside of church, and even our callings sometimes seek all of our attention and seek all of our focus. So many good things call for our attention and our love. It's not nearly as easy as you think to not let go of Jesus. Sometimes we do it just by distraction. Even the church tries to be Jesus for us. And when that happens, we 
We think our salvation comes through the church rather than through Jesus Christ crucified and Jesus Christ risen from the dead. So don't let go of Jesus. But also, don't let go of worship. This is important. It goes first, I think, when people go through faith, right? Struggles with their faith. And I, I've seen this before. I've seen people who are so in, and then as they struggle with their faith, they'll still come to church, but they can't engage in worship anymore. And I'm going to say, don't let go of worship. Because sometimes the ritual of worship can do some holding on for us. Worship in season and worship out of season. Worship when you feel like it and worship when you don't. Worship when you believe and worship when you're wrestling. Worship through your doubt. Right? I know that sounds weird because those songs have meaning as long as you believe that they're true. But it's more than that too. Sometimes those songs are a shield that protects us. Some those times, sometimes those songs are reminders that bring us back to the foot of the cross. Sometimes those songs are just an emotional experience that break our hearts when our hearts need to be broken for God so we can see him again and get rid of some of our own stuff as it leaks out. Don't let go of Jesus. Don't let go of worship. And for God's sakes, don't let go of one another. When we deconstruct and when we wrestle, we most often think we have to do it alone. And I don't think that's the case. People stop fellowshipping when they have questions. They're not sure it's okay to question in the community. I pray every single day. Honestly, I do. I pray every day that our churches will always be the safest place to ask questions of one another, the safest place to wonder, the safest place to explore, and the safest place to be absolutely wrong, moving us to under a better understanding of who God is. I really hope that's true, you know? And I don't know that all churches want to be that, and they don't have to be. Right? I think most places, most churches, I shouldn't say most, but some churches want to be places of certainty that you can walk out rock solid. But when you're not, it's easy to feel like you're not accepted. I want you to be rock solid on stuff. I do. I want you to be so rock solid on how much you are loved by God, so rock solid on how much you belong to this community. I want you to be so rock solid on this is the place where you will find the most love in your whole life. That's what I want you to be rock solid on. I want you to know how much Jesus cares for you, how much he wants to heal you, he wants to grow you. I want you to know all that with a certainty. But sometimes the discipling is in the questions just as long as we can hold on. I, I think it says it like this in Hebrews 10.25, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Just stay together. Just hold on to each other. Listen, our, our faith, even as our faith waxes and wanes, hold on. True community transcends just church, right? I hope it transcends just what and how we believe. If, even if we don't believe the same, even if we're struggling, I would hope that that community of belonging still is there. Are we only in relationships because we believe the same? 
Or are the relationships we have real and true and worth keeping? Listen, I love watching people when they meet at church and then I realize a few months later, like, oh, now they're coming to church together, right? And I'm not talking about, you know, boys and girls. I'm talking about just people, right? Now they're coming to church together. Now they're going out to eat afterwards, right? They're hanging out in the afternoon. All of a sudden, they're building relationships, right? And I've seen so many people do that over the years, and they've just decided not to let go. And when they come back and they happen to be back at something for an alumni thing or something, or Loma Linda or whatever, and they come back and they meet at church and they haven't seen each other in a while and those relationships are real, it's not just because we believe the same, it's because we've experienced some things together. Don't let go of one another. Oh, and this one's important. Don't let go of love. We are told God is love in 1 John 4, 8. Perhaps this means that even when we are wondering if God is real, the way we express and receive love shows us who God is. Love transcends our belief in it. I hope you understand that. Let me say that again. Love transcends our belief in it. Love doesn't need you to believe in it to be true. Love is our reason why. Even if we can't see or feel God, we can still experience, receive, and give love. And we do that in community like we talked about last week. Even if we are just wrestling with the concept of God, love is real, love is tangible, and love is transformative. For God is love. The first part of the text tells us that if we don't love, then we probably don't even know God. So even in the wrestling, we can always love. In the knowing and the unknowing, We can always love. In the belief, in the disbelief, in the doubting, in the questions, we can always love. We don't have to have a certainty of love. We just have to have love. And love has a way of aggregating. And accretion of love builds up love in our hearts and in our lives. And even when you're not sure if that love comes from God, keep loving. And as that well gets filled up again and again and again, I believe at some point you recognize this has to be from God because I don't have this much love for people. I don't have this much grace. I don't have this much hope for people. But somehow I keep getting filled up with it as I give it away. So don't let go of love. Honestly, just don't let go until you receive the blessing. And you know it's from God. You know, Jesus chose disciples, right? Mark 3, 14. And this was in the series, guys. He chose 12 of them to be be apostles so that they could be with him. So that they could be with him. Jesus is not fleeting, right? He calls us. He cajoles us. He bids us come and follow him so that we can be with him. You see, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want to let go of you either. Jesus wants to abide. He wants to dwell. Jesus wants to stay. And Jesus wants to hold on when we can't. We've called this series Elemental because we wanted you to get to that very basic building blocks of faith. First, we deconstructed everything that was around it and then we found, right, those things, community, love, hope, pursuit recognizing this, that Jesus is the indivisible element. If we're reconstructing our house of faith, we have to know that Jesus is actually the indivisible element among all the other elements. Love, pursuit, hope, faith, even community. It's Jesus that is the invisible and indivisible thread that holds us all together 
holds our houses of faith in perpetuity and sustainability and who will last. Even if you can't find anything else to build with, hold on to Jesus. Hold on for dear life. Listen to Jesus. Experience Jesus. Follow Jesus. Be a disciple of Jesus. If you have to throw away the rest of it all just to see Jesus, then do that. Listen, the church, the fellowship, the worship, it's all important. The study will all be here when you come back. Wherever you are on this journey, deconstructing, reconstructing, questioning, disbelieving, struggling, wrestling, or whatever, don't let go. And when your hands are tired and your heart is weary, and you're exhausted from the wrestling and you feel like you can't hold on anymore, just see if Jesus will continue to hold on to you. As you think about your life, as you think about your faith, as you think about that foundation that you build your house upon, as you think about the love that, that becomes the walls and the pursuit that God has for us and the community. I just want to tell you this. You are loved. You are cared for. You are called. Don't let go of that ever. Jesus. Thank you for not letting go of us. And some of us weren't sure that you were holding on. Some of us for five years or 10 years, some of us for 30 years haven't been back in church until you had the opportunity to grab a hold of us one more time. Lord, remind us to hold on to you too. Lord, may we be in these discipling relationships where we go beyond just learning about you and begin to learn from you and making those moves and changes in our life that allow for that to actually happen. And Lord, may your grace, as it always is, be sufficient. You hold on when we can. And Lord, we want to receive the blessing that Jacob experienced and the change and transformation from our names, from our trajectory, and the land that you've given us. So, Lord, all I say today is thank you. And if someone here, Lord, if anyone feels like they're losing their grip, hold on and bring people into their lives that help them hold on. Pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus.